Hello, welcome to Save the Ask Podcast. For your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jeff Brewer. I've been clear in the past that, that I enjoy scented candles, and I really do. I also really enjoy scented soaps. And I have found one, an advertisement for one, that advertises itself as being tomato leaves. And I'm intrigued. I feel like that could go either way. And I'm just, I'm trying to imagine what a tomato leaves scented soap would smell like. Wow. A lot going on there. Uh, and with us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, who knows what kind of scents he's currently enjoying, Lee Younger. Well, I was thinking when Jed started talking about tomato leaves, I immediately thought of basil, which goes yeah. in like a tomato-based sauce, you know, to enhance the tomato. But uh, at the exact same time, there was a uh, there was a moment where one of my uh, teenage children uh, went on a rant about the fact that why is there just Irish spring soap in this shower? I want some wonderful girl smelling soaps in this shower. I don't want to sm- smell like a man soap. Wow. And I was like, this is good communication. I appreciate that. So maybe I'll suggest the tomato leaf scented soap. Well, you know what? We got to try things, man. We got to try things. Quite. Although I, I want to be clear that when I was like, particularly like a younger teenager, like Irish Spring, man, that was like the lap of luxury. That yeah, was man. like as good as it gets, bro. Well, and, and then winter, you switch to the Irish Spring like aloe moisturizing version of the bar. That's a dream right there, man. That's that's you. just a dream. That's yeah. just getting it done. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, uh, there comes a time we're talking about many, you know, aging milestones here, and particularly young males' life, where they realize that they don't have to do. I, I think males of our generation, particularly, when they start buying soap themselves, and they realize that they're not stuck with the Irish Spring Bar anymore. Yeah. Yeah, because um, not the most user friendly source of soap, I guess, is what I would say. (laughs) Well, and, you know, in in true confessions and humility, just age wise, I missed the whole Axe body spray thing. Like I was, you know, already grown before that was a thing. But I know myself well enough to know that if I had been like 14 when Axe body spray was available, I would definitely have massively overdone that. So. Well, but I, because we're roughly the same age, Jed, I have to ask, because I know you didn't miss this age-wise, did you douse yourself with Dracar Noir? Oh, dude. So my my grandparents, you know, when they were still living, like, um, cologne was typically um, like a Christmas gift that they would send. Oh. And, um, you know... My grandparents did that too. Massively overestimating the amount of cologne eleven year old me would go through in a year <laughs> to need a new one next Christmas. I, I remember being on the phone with my grandfather, who was a unique individual, and and explaining, man, yeah, you know, it's really great, and it's a it's a lovely fragrance, and I so appreciate you you sending it, and thank you, and and there's kind of a pause. Says, you know, Jed, if you drink it, it'll get you really high. And, wow. Um, yeah. And I, I do want to note, I did not test that theory. So, um, I, and in fact, I'm not a doctor, but I just want to put out there, don't drink cologne. Um, if you're, if you're wondering about that, don't do that. That's a bad idea. You should not do that. I think the, um, that may be just describing poisoning as getting really high, which I guess is technically (laughs) correct. But if you drink this drink cleaner, you'll get really high for a while. And then other things will happen. For a while. There's nothing. There's nothing like a say that PSA, man. Yeah, that's right. The more you know. We're here for uh, you know the deep spiritual questions, but also the, the quick hitters. Should I drink this clone? No, no, don't drink the clone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, I also enjoyed from Jed's uh, earlier statement of I, I enjoy scented candles. I also enjoy scented soaps because I like the idea of someone who only wants the one or the other. Like fire is either critical or unacceptable in the process of smelling things. Like I love scented candles. I have them everywhere, but I only use totally unscented bath soap. The concept of a scented soap disgusts me. Pure lye soap. I make it myself. That's right. How else will I be sure? 
Yeah, or somebody who specifically goes into the Bath and Body Works and is like, I want the least scented candle you have. Sir, you could just you could just buy like a, a tea candle. They sell them at Walmart. Just, you know, no, I want. <laughs> Do not give me even a percentage of lavender, sir. If, if I could ask, if you don't like the scent, are you using these for warmth or light? Because there's more efficient ways to get everything else that the candle does at this point in the the technology cycle. <laughs> How else will I apply my trade as a scribe? <laughs> Than by candlelight. <laughs> as you can see, we as we're talking you out of buying both scented candles and the scented soaps, we may not have a huge future as internet influencers. But in this ah. week's emergency, we also have some folks who hopefully do not have a huge future as internet influencers. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a fun thing. We're gonna drop the audio in of this person doing this weird overcooked Christian thing. And then we're going to describe what's going on in the background of it. Yeah. So we take you to this weird audio that you shouldn't do. We'll play that for you now. If you got a phone call that said there was a 50-50 chance that someone would come to your house at 8 p.m. and shoot you in the head, and the only way to save your life would be to learn the words to a song that's 27 minutes, wouldn't you do it? There's a 100% chance that you're going to hell by denying Jesus Christ and living in sin. So now that we all... uh I've heard and experienced that. <laughs> and uh, before we even get to the weirdest part, don't, don't, young people who listen to the show who may lead a Bible study or you don't be praying to do maybe a, a young life talk or maybe even, maybe you're going to do a sermon if you're a little older. Um, the whole uh, coming up with a weird, uh, crazy situation that someone might be in close to their death to make them think about uh, Christ, don't do that. That's, that's not a, I know it seems great. I know you know cabin time, but what if you died tonight? All that it's 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 more far more weird than it is good. So just a thought, especially yeah. this one. What if you got a call that someone was going to come to your house and murder you unless you memorized a song? Here's here's one option in that case: call the police. That's a crime. Call the police. Hold on. Can we? Can we determine what the song they have to memorize is? That's an important uh, point. Any song? Because because you know, you do the the um the karaoke hack of that tequila song. Because you just got another one word. What about the, this is literally the first song that popped into my head. What about Africa by Toto? That's not a bad option. Can it be the Weezer rendition? Hey, let's that do is, it. The lyrics are more understandable in that one, so you may have a better chance of pulling it off. Well, there you go. There you go. If it was up to Matt King, everybody, to prevent their own death by murder, would have to memorize and perform a Carly Rae Jepsen song. That's right. Any one of your choice. They're short. Not a lot of lyrical uh, lyrical gymnastics going on. I think it's a good solid choice. Maybe a nice Now That I've Found You. Something... (laughs) You know, pretty repetitive, nice and nice and boppy, sticks in your ears. That should be easy. I feel like for some reason, and you can tell the difference in the musicianship on this show because uh, Lee and Lee and Jed went directly to Toto, which it's a lot going on. Do you have to do every part? There's some there's some harmonies. <laughs> there's some co- contrapoint going on in there. There's some sentences that, even though each individual word is understandable, make absolutely no sense. Quite. The, yeah, that's that's fair. The, the thing about Kilimanjaro rises above the Serengeti, and it's like, dude, there's, I don't, I can't tell if this is way too many syllables or not quite enough, but it's not the right <laughs> amount of syllables for what you're trying to do. <laughs> Good pull, dude. Good Thank pull. You. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And for all for all that, as this person's doing this uh, unhinged rants, um, they are making a smoothie in the background <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> And the first it's time you watch it, you think, well, maybe it's like one of those weird things in TikTok where you put a sound over another video. But at the end, on the screen, in the same caption, in the same font as the weird Christian stuff, comes up the smoothie recipe. Well, I kept waiting for like the Jesus juke, where there was going to be some a spiritual lesson about the smoothie. Sure. But they're just completely unrelated. Also, this sounds like a terrible smoothie. Cantaloupe. I assume sliced, but they don't specify. Uh, Cantaloupe, frozen strawberries, 
one half banana coconut cream. There's there's not enough liquid in this. Yeah, that's just going to be a sludge. But I mean, if it's up to Jed, it's going to have some tomato leaves in there. You got to have tomato leaves. Absolutely. That's to give it a nice bouquet. <laughs> Maybe now there's a convoluted metaphor. You know, Don't the me. idea of like the God shaped hole or you know, what's missing in your life. You know, you think you've got everything you need for the smoothie that is your life. You got your cantaloupe, you got your frozen strawberries, your ha- one half banana, your coconut cream. But maybe your life just doesn't taste the way you think you thought you thought it would. Maybe it just feels like something missing, something you never thought of. Tomato leaves. <laughs> and what is the love of Christ, the tomato leaves of the smoothie of your life. <laughs> It's one of those like, well, he said it in the right rhythm and all, but no, it sounded like a sermon. (laughs) It makes exactly as much sense as everything else in that video. (laughs) You know what? It's a very, very good point, Jed. Thank you. And on that wisdom point, we will declare emergency off. Wow. Yes, the uh, the evangelism smoothie. Please don't. <laughs> so with that, we will move on to your final questions. If you hang with us all the way to the end, I'll use ways you can touch this, or you can scroll down in your episode description and click one of the links you find there. Our first question comes in this week. It says, how should Christians think about the economy changing? Like, I know giving is good, but if I want to buy a house someday soon, I probably need to save more than I thought I would need to. Well. You have come to the right place. Well, two people with history degrees and one person with an electrical engineering degree. So let's describe inflation, a thing we all understand. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm going to let these guys go first for no reason, then just probably fact check them afterwards. But, Jed, I love you to start off here because I think it is a sharp question in a lot of ways. And one of which is um, particularly if you go to certain uh, types of churches or you know, give to certain organizations. Um, they're they're not letting up with their desire that you would give to them just because the interest rate sure. has uh, tripled over the last whatever. Sure. Um, but you know, there's a there's a strong kind of oh no excuses and you know it'll always be give till it hurts and what whatnot. And again, we we come to the idea that giving is good, giving sacrificially under some concepts of that term might be a good thing, but. There are also realities that that push into that, um, and worrying about those things I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. So where do we start with that? No, I, you, I think you've already hit the nail on the head. So one of the things in life that is, I think, a really important skill to develop, and I think this is a sharp question, I think you're already 98% of the way there to, to get in this, is that there's a difference between themes – That should be present in basically every season of your life and the living out of those themes, which is going to vary season to season. Let me say that again. There are big picture themes that you will almost always want to have present in basically every season of your life. But the implementation, the living out, the details of what that looks like is for sure going to be different season to season in your life. And that's okay. That's normal. That's that's completely, completely normal. So uh, let's let's use an example that doesn't pertain to money. You need some kind of social life your whole life, like with very rare exceptions, every season in your life, you you need to have a social life. You need to have interactions with other people that you love and that you care about and that give you a sense of community and a sense of, of strength and together togetherness and joy, you know. Again, exempting very, very few people, almost all of us are going to need some version of that in every season in our lives. But what your social life looks like when you are 11 years old and what your social life looks like when you are 31 years old are going to be pretty different. The the details are going to be um, uh, quite different. And that's okay. That's normal. That doesn't make your social life when you're 11 bad or your social life when you're 31 better necessarily. It's just that. It is a need that you have. It is an important thing, and it's okay for it to be different from one season to the next. So now let's look a little bit at your specific question. Here's what I would say in terms of kind of the big picture idea. Generosity is a combination of a muscle and a skill and a kind of creativity. And what that means is that in general, 
the more of it you do, the better you will get at it. And when I say more, I don't mean magnitude. I mean reps. I don't Mm. mean give till it hurts. I mean find ways to do something to help someone else, even if it's small. But the reps are way, way more important than the size of an individual lift. But it's a muscle. It's a skill. It's a kind of creativity. And I would really encourage you to find some way to have generosity be present in every season in your life because I think it's going to lead to you having a much, much better life. Um, I, I think generous people have more fun. I think generous people have a, a richer life. And one thing that I can say for sure, because I've seen this play out a lot, is you can't jump from a life that is entirely self-centered to a life that is very generous in one go. That, mm. that doesn't work. So if you, if you want to, in your life, you know, someday be a generous person, find a way to start doing that now, even if it's in very small ways. And it's, it's cool for it to be in very, very small ways responding to the market realities in which you find yourself is a wise thing. One of the things that the Bible is clear on is that God loves a cheerful giver. Yeah. If you're insisting on something wooden and unadaptive and just kind of dogmatic, like you must give and you must give in these ways and these amounts, and it's running afoul of the actual, again, market realities, actual monetary realities in, in which you find yourself living. Um, you may keep giving, but that joyful part of the joyful giver is going to go away real, real fast. Um, just like with, you're going to kind of need some kind of social life in every season, but the details are going to change. I'd really encourage you to find some way to have generosity, be a part of your life in every season of your life. But I'm encouraging you to do that because I don't want you to miss out. I think there's so much fun and satisfaction and joy to be had, but there isn't some kind of metric that you that you need to meet. If anything, use that concept of being a joyful giver. Use that as your barometer. Are you enjoying this? Are you having fun? And are you finding ways to be more and more creative? I would say mm-hmm. that cool. just as generosity, again, I think it's a muscle and a skill and a kind of creativity. So is playing music. Music also involves your muscles, and it's a a skill that you develop, but it's also a kind of creativity. The point of music is to do something expressive and fun. You do need your your fingers to get tough enough that it doesn't hurt when you play the guitar and that your muscles are coordinated enough that you can strum. But the point is to do something expressive and fun. It's the same thing with generosity. You need to get comfortable with having something be yours and then not, and you need to figure out how to do that in a way that's functional But the point is to do something expressive and fun that benefits other people. And again, the more that you include that in your life, not in magnitude, but in reps and frequency, the the better experience. And I think the more fun you're likely to have. That is a fantastic place to start this off. Lee, where would we pick that up? I completely and totally um, am aligned with Jed on every piece of that. Um, The the deal is, and I want to underline the verse that he mentioned. Um, that, uh, God loves a cheerful giver, um, that the, the broader context of that verse says that you should not give under compulsion, but each person should give what they've decided in their heart to give to the Lord because God loves a cheerful giver. What that means is, is that at any point, if what you're giving crosses a threshold into the feelings of guilt or compulsion, we have now crossed over into a place where God himself would say to you, please don't do that. Don't do that. We don't want to cross over into the land of compulsion. We want to make this a happy adventure. We want this to be fun. Um, The other part that we want to underline on this is that your life requires certain things. You have to pay for a rent or a mortgage. You have to pay bills. You have to go to the grocery store. Depending on what your transportation is, you either have to put gas into a car and pay a car payment, or you have to pay for uh, the metro or rapid transit or something like that. You've got to be able to do those things to live your life. Do not, please hear me. And by the way, I'm a pastor. Uh, Every dollar that I make comes from the generosity 
of God's people. Um, please do not give to the point to where you cannot put food on your table or pay your rent or uh, or acquire your transit. Okay, so we need to we need to balance this level of you have needs in your own life that you have to provide for, and your giving needs to be something that makes you happy and is a fun adventure. The, the really, really cool thing, if you can access it, is when you figure it out, um, getting to the place of being a cheerful giver makes you a, an actual partner with people who are in ministry. This is a really, really cool thing to be. I want to read um, a little bit of scripture, if it's cool. This is from um, the uh, the letter of Second Corinthians. This is in chapter nine, and this is the last paragraph of that chapter. And I just want to tell you four things that happen when you give uh, money to the kingdom of God. Here we go. This is the Apostle Paul talking, and he says, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you, because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So there are a few things that, that Paul describes here that happen when you are a cheerful giver to God's work. Um, one of them is you literally supply needs of the Lord's people who are, who are doing a thing that, you're, that you can't do. You're actually enabling them to do a thing. That's really, really cool. Then he says, that because of the service that you've by which you've proved yourselves, oh, he says, it's overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So you are supplying needs and you're actually answering people's prayers. That's really cool. You're like an agent of an answered prayer. Um, because of the service which you've proved yourselves, others will praise God. So other people will see it and actually give glory to God because of what's happening, because it's like, whoa. These people are being kept on the field or doing this work because of somebody else. And then you acquire these people that pray for you. That's an amazing thing. This is something that that Chrissy and I have experienced uh, our entire marriage is that people that we've supported become people who pray for our family, pray for our marriage, pray for our ministry, pray for our children, all that kind of stuff. That's all really, really cool stuff. But none of that stuff is a benefit if I am working underneath this, like, I have to keep my giving at a strict percentage because, um, you know, wh- whatever, you know, whatever the rule is, I-, I can't be following rules. I have to be in this adventurous kind of tightrope that I'm walking between God provides for me and I have to pay for my life. And then I want to find a place to partner with the work of God that makes me happy, that brings me on an adventure, and that involves me in a partnership of some amazing work. So uh, at different times in our life, we've supported uh, the ministry of Matt, the ministry of Jed, the ministry of other folks, and that is something that makes me and Christy really, really happy. Every time they have an amazing moment, an amazing uh, thing that they've accomplished, we feel like we partnered with them. We were their team that got them out there and got them to do that thing. And we high five and we're like, dude, we are on an adventure with these amazing people. And we've got some folks that we support that are doing some amazing stuff all over the world. And that is really, really fun. And that, just to underline again, what all the stuff that Jed said, that's the goal. That's the aim is how can I be a cheerful giver, not a rule-following giver, not a uh, guilting myself into questioning whether or not I've done enough giver, but the kind of giver that says, I want to have fun. I want to be on an adventure. I want to team up with some people. I want some people to, I want some amazing people to be praying for me. And so I am going to team up. That is the aim. 
cheerful, happy, fun adventure. Forget the guilt. Forget the the automatic percentages. You've got an expensive life. Everybody does. As Matt said, the economy has changed. The world has changed. Eggs are more expensive. So, you know, get the eggs you need and then figure out what your adventure is going to be. With that, we're going to move on to our next question. Here it comes in and says, I was recently told I was too negative. I don't consider myself a negative person. I would say I'm positive sometimes, negative other times, and I try to be realistic. Is it possible to just be a negative person? And if so, what can be done about it? A great question. And Jed, where do we start off here? It is a great question. Well, let's talk about the idea of realism, because I think that that's really um, kind of integral to, to what you're looking at. And here's the thing I want to submit to you to think about. Realism requires you having expertise about something. Think about that for a second. Being realistic about how much progress a person can make at the gym and at what rate requires you to know something about the gym and something about exercise science. Being realistic about how much time it's going to take to make a chicken dinner requires you to know something about cooking um, and particularly about chicken dinners specifically. You can't actually be realistic without some degree of knowledge and expertise. And with that in mind, neither you nor I nor anyone has the ability to be realistic in that sense about everything because nobody has expertise about everything. What we're left with is what our gut says. And that's fine, but um, your, your gut doesn't have like native insights in to how long it will take to prepare a chicken dinner. Um, your, your, your gut just has opinions and that's cool, but that's not realism. That's... Speak for yourself, Jed. <laughs> My gut knows all about chicken dinners. Does it? So, I mean, here's, the, yeah, I think one of the questions we have to learn to ask ourselves is, do you know enough to be realistic about whatever this thing is? Do I know enough to be realistic about whatever this thing is? Or am I just talking? Um, and if I'm if I'm just talking, that's that's okay. People share their uninformed opinions all the time, but that does get to be just a bit more into worldview. Like realism doesn't really enter into that. That's just, you know, I tend to think things will work out or I tend I tend not to. I would submit to you for what it's worth, the areas, just me personally, the areas I know the most about, the areas where I, I have some expertise are areas I typically feel pretty hopeful about. Um, you know, kind of the, the pessimism and whatnot, like I don't, I don't feel pessimistic or hopeless in general on areas where I I actually know a bit about them. And I don't know that the following is universally true, but like, I'm very fortunate to know an awful lot of people that are subject matter experts at, at a pretty wide variety of fields. And I don't think most subject matter experts are pessimistic within their field. Um, you know, because they, they understand what makes things go. And so even if a given approach might not work, they often recognize, well, you're not that far off. You just need a couple tweaks and, and, you know, you'll, you'll be good to go. You know, you can't, you can't make the, the fried chicken dinner in, in five minutes, but you do, you clearly need to make a fried chicken dinner very quickly and you don't have a ton of time to put into it. And I know an awful lot about food preparation. So let's walk through how you can maybe get there as quickly as possible. And maybe we can do it more like 30 minutes. And I think you'll feel good about the outcome in general, not for everybody, but in general, much of the time, I think that expertise leads to a certain kind of informed optimism. Again, it's it's true for me. And I I think Mm. it's, it's often true for subject matter experts. And that that's literally realism. That is, that is the perspective of a person who knows the reality of how these things work. It's important to know the things that you have enough knowledge about to make estimations that are realistic, but a humble person also is aware when they have a gut feeling and when they have opinions that are not actually particularly well-informed. It takes a lot of humility to say, look, I've got an opinion about this. I've got a gut feeling about it, but it's largely based on nothing. It's not based on expertise on this topic or this subject or this pursuit. It's not based on personal experience. It's just, it's just what my gut says and my gut could definitely be wrong. And I, I need to acknowledge that to myself and I need to acknowledge that in the way that I am 
talking to other people about this. Just as, again, in, in my view, often expertise and um, a fairly optimistic realism tend to go hand in hand. The following is almost always true. Fear and ignorance almost always go hand in hand. Mm. Um, in the world, in most places, people who are ignorant are also typically afraid. That may not be true 100% of the time, but it's true a lot. And I think it's worth asking yourself, when you are being real, when, when you think you're being realistic about things, are you, in fact, is there a chance you're just being negative? And if you're being negative, is there a chance that you're just afraid? And if you're afraid, is there a chance that you're ignorant about this topic and maybe we're not acknowledging that? Wow. Because that's, that's all fine, dude. We, 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 all, we all have that cycle. But let's, let's walk through that again together. When you're trying to be realistic, do you know enough to be realistic? If you don't, is there a chance that you're just kind of being negative about it because that's your bent on things? And if you're being negative about it, is that fundamentally just coming from a place of fear of you? You feel wary and cautious and, and fearful about whatever this thing is. And if that's the case, is there a chance that this is driven by the fact that you are ignorant about this subject or this situation or this thing? That's not something to feel bad about. Most of us are ignorant about most things most of the time. One of the great lies, first of like, Honestly, it's a mass media thing that's translated onto the internet now is people who pretend like they're experts about everything. There are no experts about everything. That's that's an insanely silly idea. Um, if you know a fair amount about one or two things, you're winning by a mile. Most of us are ignorant about most things most of the time. But here's the great deal is if you'll acknowledge that you don't know very much about something and that maybe that's leading to a place of fear, you can choose to learn enough to be making more informed assessments of what is and isn't possible. You can seek out subject matter experts so you don't have to be coming from a place that is fearful and a place that is uninformed. I think that if we lean into that humility and lean into the possibility that maybe we're just coming from a place of fear, it will help us to get to a more balanced place in our decision-making process. Absolutely right. I think that's a fantastic place to start that off. And Lee, where do we pick that up? I loved every bit of that. I think that's fantastic and uh, completely agree. I think. Um, I want to, I want to talk about this in, in a couple of ways. I, you know, Jed said so much important stuff there. So I, I really want to look at a different side of this. The, uh, but before we get there, I would just say, as far as the question of, am I, am I too negative or too, you know, or, or, you know, or how do I become a more positive person or whatever? I think, um, a word that would be maybe more helpful is, um, when you're when you're doing your self assessment is to ask yourself if you're being cynical um cynicism is when you look around at a world that is so mean and so unjust and so broken and so messed up uh, let me just be honest it like cynicism makes sense it's it that is it, it makes sense to me if somebody gets themselves to a cynical edge. But if I'm looking in the mirror, that's a thing that I want to measure is, have I gotten myself to the place where I've lost hope? And I'm, and I'm just seeing the world from a cynical bent, and I always think things are going to be the evil option or the critical option or the messed up option or whatever. That That's actually an important question for you to ask about yourself. And I think it might be a more nuanced question than am I too negative or too or or not positive enough. Um, it, so let's try that word on for size. But okay, uh, that being said, I think Jed covered so much of this content so well that I want to take just a second and deal with another edge of your question, which is this person that accused you of being too negative. Uh, who are they? To talk about you. Um, I, I don't know you, and I don't know if you're too negative or positive, but this is an important question that I want to enter into your world, which is, how do you credential people who get to speak into the deepest parts of your personality and yourself? Um, how do we decide who we're listening to? Because sometimes 
And I just say this out of experience of working with a lot of people dealing with a lot of interpersonal stuff where I'll be, I'll be 20 minutes into a conversation with somebody who's feeling really, really down about themselves. And then it'll come out that this whole thing stemmed back to so-and-so said a thing about me. And that really got in my head. And I realize, well, that person has no right to say anything about you. Why in the world would you give that person a VIP backstage pass into your emotional state? I think a really important skill is to make sure that you are aware and managing who in your life has the credentials to be able to affect your emotional state. There should be people in your life who have the right to speak into your life, who have the right to, you know, I mean, I guess Christians call it holding you accountable or whatever, 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 Um, who have the right to push back, who have the right to ask you questions, all of those things. You a healthy person has people in their life who can hold them to account, but a healthy person does not, does not give that access to everybody in their life. And they certainly don't give that access to certain people who are dramatic or gossipy or slanderous or whatever. And we all have those people in our life who have kind of a bullying attitude or who run that mouth too much or whatever. So I don't know what the state of this is. I don't know if you're a negative person. I don't know who is accusing you of being a negative person, but I want you to consider, am I credentialing someone in my life who does not have the right to affect my emotional space? Am I giving them a VIP backstage pass to, in fact, affect my emotional space when I need to laugh that off and pity them and not give them that pass? This is a really, really important question for your own emotional and mental health is who am I giving credentials to? I don't want every single person walking around out there who's watching my life or looking at my social media feed or whatever. I don't want everybody out there to have the ability to wreck my day. So again, I don't know if you're too negative or positive or anything like that. Um, but I want you to consider, does this person have the right to speak into my life? I think it's a great point. And I would, I would close this out by saying that there, the, the, there's two answers to that question. Um, the, the first one is pretty simple on where to go with that. If it's a no, then eh, no, screw them. And nicer and more Christian than that. But that's the general idea. But Absolutely. The more complicated idea is if it is someone who has you know, your best interest at heart, who does know you pretty well, who is telling you this because um, they think it is a helpful thing for you to know. And uh, let me speak to this as someone who uh, has been, uh, still occasionally is, what could very easily and accurately classified as a negative person who sees the negative in all things, comes to the negative consequence. And here's the thing I can tell you about that. When I am a negative person, I'm also a miserable person. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah, me too. I think when we look at something, especially if you, again, if you grew up in certain subcultures and uh, Christianity is often one of them, there's this idea that to, to be negative or to not see, not to be smiley and cheery and super optimistic type of person is a character flaw and is an indication of some kind of uh, spiritual sickness. And you're just not thankful enough and you're not, uh, grateful and you just don't have the whatever. Um, it comes down to, uh, for me, and I think for a lot of people, it comes down to a worldview uh, that is not exactly the same as those things. You, you say in your question, of, I would say I try to be realistic. And again, I say this from very first-hand experience, that is the uh, the cover story of the person who sees doom around every corner. As well, I'm just realistic that the world is awful and will continue to be awful. And there's a a very wise thing that uh, Jed has said in projects we worked on before about people who were maybe not getting the most out of this experience, which was, do you want to be right about this? <laughs> Does it positively affect your life if you are careening towards the worst 
most unpleasant outcome at all times. Uh, so to that, I would say I think it is possible to be, I don't know about a negative person, it's certainly possible to be going through times where you are seeing the negative in all things, and that is all you can see. And there, it is possible that someone who loves and cares for you would look at you and say, hey, that doesn't seem to be making you happy at all in life. And if that is the case, and we've talked about this before in other episodes, and we're happy to have a follow-up question to talk about more, it is possible to um, do less of that. But it starts with the idea of acknowledging that, eh, this may not be the healthiest mindset, and it is one that I am participating in currently. Uh, I, I would only add at the end of this, since Matt outed himself as someone who's been accused of being negative, that I have traveled uh, internationally with Matt before, and uh, we stayed in a hotel where they served what's called a the full English breakfast, which which, which is where breakfast is served. Which is where, <laughs> yeah, a, pl- a a breakfast plate is served with baked beans at seven a.m. And Matt ate it and was like, "Yeah, it's pretty good." So I'm just saying, full English, not my thing. And uh, he he handled it. He, he he handled it. We walked approximately twenty miles a day on that trip, and. Uh, and uh, I, I didn't really hear a lot of negative words. So Healing is possible. You, too, could get to the point <laughs> where you see the positive enough in the world to eat a plate full of baked beans served to you. At 7 a.m. At 7 a.m. <laughs> next to your eggs. And think, eh, I don't know. Maybe they're onto something. Turns out they're not. Turns out that that... I guess I'll move on to the tomato slice. Yeah, turns out that letting the, the fine people of that island uh, choose foodstuffs was a mistake. But that's fine. <laughs> it, it ended up still being a lovely trip. You know, you know. sometimes your day can start with a plate full of baked beans, and still many wonderful things can happen throughout your day. You have to <laughs> well said. Well said, Matt. I had a great time with you. That's all I'm saying. It was a wonderful time, and we learned <laughs> that that's not a thing to do for breakfast, and we're all better off for it. Positivity. <laughs> Uh, so with that said, uh, a lot of great stuff on that. And with that, we're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, how do I deal with people who talk about all religion like it's a cult? I heard someone talking about Scientology recently, and someone commented something like, yeah, that's weird, but they all are. That kind of offended me, but I didn't know what to say. And another another very good question. And Judge, where would we start off here? You know, I learned... I learned a really valuable skill in life because I, I got into like the super crazy heavy metal, like the cookie monster stuff when I was like 11. Um, and dude, it just resonated with me, man. It's just like, you know, and like, um, but I, I knew as an 11 year old, this is weird. And this is like, not everyone's going to be into this and that's okay. Like, I really like it, but like, this is, it, it would be a fool's errand to assume that everybody else is going to going to join me on this journey because it there's no melody and it is a guy like a grown man or in some cases a grown woman. But it's it's a grown person making cookie monster sounds. So, we, you know, we, we, we got to bear these things in mind. And that's given me an advantage because through in my life, I've I've grown to be really OK with. I like things, but I recognize they're pretty objectively weird. And I don't, I don't blame you if you're, if you're not into that, you know, whether that's the, you know, the, the, the cookie monster music or the weird art house movie that was made in Denmark or whatever else. Like, you know, I, I, I like what I like, but there's plenty of it. That's pretty weird. And I, I, I get that. Here's why I walk through all that from a certain standpoint, basically all religious belief is pretty weird, man. Mm. Like it's, it's all, it's all pretty weird stuff. Like, I, I mean, it's, we, and we talked about this on our last episode, like t- for starters, it's based on assertions that are not provable. Um, there, there's no way to, to verify any of this. I mean, a central tenet in Christianity is that Jesus was born of a virgin. There's absolutely no way to verify that that happened short of a time machine, which we don't have. You gotta, you either accept it on faith or you, or you don't accept it. Great not, Scott. <laughs> and um you know m- basically all all religions have that quality of it's it's not it's not provable 
and it's all um it's all stuff that you kind of have to on a certain level feel your way through and um you some part of you thinks that you're experiencing it but maybe you are and maybe you aren't and you you can't you definitely can't prove it to other people and you can't exactly prove it to yourself that is weird from a certain standpoint that is a certain kind of weird and here's what i would i would say to you though is the stuff that makes religion weird is also true of love and of selflessness and of the concept of beauty and of believing that music is more significant than ordered noises. If mm. you think that music has any meaning to it at all in any way, you're a mystic. And that actually leads to the broader point here. Most people are mystics. Nearly every person on planet Earth on some level is a mystic. I know that there are, you know, angry folks on Reddit that talk about how they only believe in science and they only believe in what can be proven. No, you don't, man. There, there may be a couple guys that are like teaching at Harvard or something that are super hardcore on that. But for everybody else, you believe in mystical things. Again, love as a concept is a mystical thing. Selflessness is based on mystical ideas. Beauty is based on on mystical ideas. I, you know, I know that there are, you know. Folks hard at work trying to figure out how it's all just neurons, but they're not there yet. And until, unless and until they get there, you are a mystic if you believe in any of those things. And again, if you've ever listened to a song and you're just like, man, that just rocked my world. You, you believe in a form of mysticism. You, you do. And it's, it's okay for you to be uncomfortable with that. It's okay for you to be like, I don't, I don't like that about myself. That's fine. Most people who discover that there's something weird about themselves, their first uh, reaction is revulsion. So that's you're 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 in good company. But we do religion of any kind a great disservice by pretending that it is not mystical. Mm. We do religion of any kind a great disservice by pretending that it is not fantastical. It is. It is mystical. It is fantastical. That doesn't mean it's false. It also doesn't mean that it's true, but it certainly doesn't mean that it's false. You have had, I feel almost certain, you have had mystical experiences in your life. You've had moments where you knew things that you didn't know how you knew them. You've had moments where you believed in things that you had no reason to believe in, but you believed in them anyway. You've had moments where you followed your heart and it worked out and you couldn't explain why or how, but it did. It's all right, man. These these are all things that are, in a sense, are religious and are and are, are certainly mystical. That's that's normal. And let's add one more element into this. True and true for me are different, and that's okay. Yep, that's right. One of our obsessions in this world is verifiability. And, and, and here's what I would tell you is I, I, I think not nearly as many things are verifiable as we want to pretend like they are. Um, it is okay for your position to be, I have a faith that is true for me. I can't prove that it is true outside of that, but it, it is true for me. It has made a difference in my own life. And I know that that's possible because death metal is music for me. I know that it's not music for everybody, but it's beautiful for me. There are cookie monster tracks where I'm like, man, that resonates with my soul. I get what that dude is doing. Um, the black t-shirt doesn't fool me. There's a heart of beauty in that growler. <laughs> it's okay for things to be true for you, whether they're going to be true in general or not, whether they're going to be true for other people or, or not. You're allowed to like what you like. You're allowed to connect with what you connect with. You're allowed to find beauty where you find it. You don't actually owe anybody a defense of that at all. One final point, and it's worth noting. One of the things about Scientology, man, is it's a predatory thing that is trying to hurt people. Mm. Is your love of beauty a predatory thing that's trying to hurt people? No. Then it's not the same thing. Weird and harmful are not the same thing. All religious belief on some level is weird. It's certainly not all harmful, and we do need to acknowledge that difference.
I think that's a really, really good place to start that off. And Lee, what do we have to add to that? Yeah, man. I I I just I just loved Jed's Jed's response there and um and you know the thing that I would I would put on here is that like not only is religion weird, but like Christians are weird. Yeah. And there's a lot of weird Christian stuff. For too. citations, see the previous five hundred and ninety episodes of the show. Yeah, I mean <laughs> Yeah, and, and and there's and I say that to say there's some parsing that needs to be done. And that's okay. Um, you know, we're not saying um we're not saying you know, uh, like the church you went to is great and you don't need to investigate that. And the weird, you know, vibes you got from a uh, you know, a uh, vacation Bible school or a camp, those things don't matter. There's, uh, there's beauty there. So none of those, you know, the, those weird vibes you got, they don't matter. There's some weird stuff in Christianity and you are not on the hook to defend all of that, by the yep. way. Um, you know, when Jed's talking about beauty, I mean, his, his response inspired me in so many ways, just because like, I mean, I'm, I'm like a sappy sentimental dude anyway, but like, I, I just, I just got finished watching, um, and I watched it really fast, but, uh, a two season, uh, TV show called the bear about a, a chef in Chicago, um, from this Italian family. And there was an episode in the second season that just it just wrecked me. It was just so beautiful. Like the, the redemption from so much tension that had been built up through, uh, these previous episodes, it was just so fantastic. And it, and, and it just collided in this moment that, you know, I mean, it just only happens in scripted television or whatever, but it was so beautiful. And I didn't, you know, it's like, I, I was trying to, to explain this, to my wife and why it affected me so deeply and everything. And in the end, I was just like, you know, I think you would hate this show, but like, (laughs) but like, I wish that I could download all of the lead up to this one moment then. And and then I could show you this 10 minute clip and then you could feel all of the redemption that I experienced in that because it was so, it was such a great payoff. (laughs) And she was just like, yeah, no, I tried that show and I turned it off after like 17 minutes. And I was like, yeah, okay, fine. You know, whatever, man. Um, but I, I freaking loved it. And, and she was so generous. She said, I'm so glad you loved it. You know, and I'm a sentimental dude. And I was just like, yeah, but I mean, I was just weeping when this thing happened. She was like, yeah, you're weeping. I turned the thing off. I didn't care about it at all. You know, um, that's okay. That's fine. All of that is fine. Um, here, here's the, the, the main thing that I want to say in response to all of this is Christians are weird. Christianity has a lot of weird stuff. I assure you of this. I absolutely assure you of this. If you show up in the life of people with generosity, kindness, and patience, some people will be won over by that. I can't tell you how many. I can't tell you how long it's going to take. I can't tell you who it's going to be. But I believe Jesus is going to find some people through your generosity, through your patience, through your kindness. We have a weird thing that we're on, man. Show up for people's lives with generosity, kindness, and patience. And I believe he's going to find people. That's not on you. That's on his ticket. But I believe he's going to do that. And I think you're the exact person to show up with that generosity, that kindness, and that patience. I think it's beautifully put by both of these guys. A couple of quick things I'll, t- I'll tack on the end here. You know, we, we talk, we've talked a lot over the history of this show about how uh, so much uh, problem and pain and just insanity and the church is wrought of uh, people looking at a religion where the guy who started it, who they believe was God himself come to earth, uh, was homeless and didn't have any money and said, uh, a lot of you are not going to have much money. And what you do have, you should share with people 
who have less than you and looked at that and said, okay, but what if I did that and was super rich? So that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> we'll just smash those together. I think there is a very strong corollary in people who look at Christianity where, uh, you know, in, uh, in thinking of 1 Corinthians 1, where uh, Paul says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak of the world to shame the strong. Um, people who look at something like that, you know, Jesus repeatedly says you must come as a small child and that whole thing, and look at that and say, okay, but what if that plus everyone agrees I'm actually really smart? <laughs> um, which, as these guys point out, uh, the central tenets of the religion are uh, some people are going to look at that and go, well, that's just, that doesn't seem very smart. And here's the thing. Uh, the more I've grown in, in my faith and the longer we're doing this, the more I can just kind of stand there and say, yeah, correct. You are correct. Not super smart. That's <laughs> what I believe. And I think I'm, I don't think I'm a dumb person, but yeah, this is just because I believe it doesn't make it not a little out there. That's totally fine. Um, the other thing about this, when other people are kind of talking about their experience, um, that's what they're talking about. You know, I think it's easy to, maybe particularly if you're new to the faith or if there's some other antagonistic stuff going on, say, well, they're talking about my and judging my faith and my life that is built on that. No, probably not. They're probably talking about their experience with Christianity, which again, given a lot of the people who do the talking for the Christianity, there's a pretty good uh, chance that that's been bad. And yeah. bad in a number of ways that are entirely understandable. And the last thing I would add is, is the, the cult thing here. Um, on some level, yes, every religion has a structure that you could look at and compare to a cult. Um, there's a number of reasons for that. One, there's only so many ways to do um, hierarchies in the same way that every company and rotary club and JV football team has a structure you could look at and describe as cult-like in some way because there's somebody in charge and you pay dues and whatever. Um, the other is because cults, when they build themselves to look like religion, they copy religions. But here, as Jed gave you one very important distinction, I'll give you another one with Scientology as a good example. Whether it's Scientology or a certain other uh, well-known kind of really out there religious groups, they don't tell you the crazy stuff until they've suckered you in for a while. Uh -huh. yeah. The whole point is to start off seeming very reasonable and there's nothing out of the ordinary here and we just want to help and personality test and then and then once you're in and you've given them money or they have some leverage over you then yeah. they come out with the really out there stuff meanwhile doors are closing behind you yes there's a uh i don't want to use i don't want to use the term cult i don't know if it's actually right there's a a spin-off of christianity in america called the church of latter-day saints where it is super in their theology that if you uh, live your life in the tenets of this religion and die, you get your own planet in the afterlife. And hey it's there. super in their theology that Jesus and the, the Yahweh, the God that we recognize as God, was some dude on another uh, world who got his own planet on this one. That's in there. Here's why you don't hear about that much. They don't tell you that until you are well established in this particular group. Um, so here's a way you can not be cultic is to open right up and say, if someone wants to talk about it, say, say, here's the Apostles' Creed. It starts off That's right. a little out there, and it only keeps going from there. You get the virgin <laughs> birth and the died and resurrected and suffer and went into hell and the resurrection of the body and the, being called up there. That, I'm not saying it's not wacky, but I'm saying I'm putting it all out there from Jump Street. The two That's major right. holidays in this religion are the born of the virgin one and the rose from the dead one. You yeah. cannot credibly <laughs> accuse mainline Christianity with playing hide and seek with the weird stuff. Nice. So playing hide and seek with the weird stuff is a good episode title. Not bad. Um, but I would also say it could also it, it could also go a little sideways. That, <laughs> that episode is, title. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would also say that there, there, I think there is also a, something there to be wary of, which I think there is a, a desire that some uh, churches and some outreach organizations and some uh, groups fall into 
to in in the sense in the idea of being seeker friendly or doing outreach or whatever to knock the the edges off the Christian part and do a little bit of, oh no, we just want to, you know, it, it helps in your day-to-day life and it'll make you a better citizen and community. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But if you're going to be on the Jesus part of it, just be on the Jesus part of it from the beginning. That's totally fine. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, here, one way I, that good Christian organizations I've been a part of, I've been a part of many of them, are definitely different from cultic ones is they're not trying to trick you into this. They're telling you what this is from the beginning. And it's up to you yeah. that they give you the dignity and the choice to decide if they want that or not. So uh, that's a good way to, to deal with being offended. If you get a comparison is to acknowledge maybe there's some overlap here and think about ways that there is not overlap and lean into those. Take some lessons from that is always a good idea. Okay, if you have a question for us at podcast, gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask. You want to keep that entirely anonymous. Okay, with a song this week. This is from our friend Peter Lawson. It's his version of A Mighty Fortress. Say that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood
coming forever. 